You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, every lesson that we heard uh, read from the lectern, in fact, every single time the Bible is read from the lectern over there during the year of the church, it has a specific purpose. Uh, The lessons aren't necessarily supposed to just sound nice or put you in the right mood for Christmas, even though they could do both things. Um, The scriptures are supposed to sharpen your confession in, in very specific ways. The scriptures are supposed to hone your prayers, to give them the very words that you say. The scriptures that are read in church equip you with God's own sword, which is God's word. It is everything that you need to know for salvation and good works. Now, what can the Scriptures do when they fill your heart? When they're spoken from your lips in either confession or prayer? Well, we know that the prayers of the saints scatter the devil. And we know that the confession that is put on our lips by the Bible, this confounds the wisdom of this world. God takes his weapon and he puts it into your hands. And you have it by faith. It is more precious to you and in your hands than a weapon is in the hands of a soldier. And you should cherish it like that. It turns out that there are two things that a soldier fears most when he's given his weapon. That is, when he's given a watch, you know. The first one is that in carelessness he would set his weapon aside. The second thing is that he would fall asleep and become drowsy and stop paying attention. The same applies for us as Christians. There's a temptation to take the Scriptures, the Word of God that's preached to us here, and to set it aside. But then the devil sees us, you know, he's watching us. As soon as we set aside the Scriptures and what they teach and how they inform our confession and prayers, the devil comes after us, he attacks us, and he seeks to devour our faith. So also, we are tempted to become drowsy, you know, to think that though the Scriptures tell me that Jesus is coming as my King to save me, when he comes again in glory to give resurrection to the the dead, uh, the temptation is to think, well, maybe I can set aside my faith for a while. Maybe I can set aside the instruction of Scriptures for a while. I can always pick it up later. But then that risks, a very great risk, Jesus talks about it all the time, the Master coming at an unknown hour. And he'll catch you sleeping at your post. And then you'll be judged as a traitor. Dear saints, God's Word is more than just a nice idea. It's concrete, articulate, born of flesh and blood, and a part of the real history of this world. So also our confession and prayers must take the shape that God wants it to wants it to have, you know, how He forges them together through the life of Jesus that is preached by the prophets, the evangelists, and the apostles. The other weapons of this world are useless against the devil and against death and against sin, but the weapon that God places into your hand this is effective even unto eternal life. Now, what does this have to do with this gospel lesson? 
We have to always ask ourselves, what, 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 how, in, in, in what way are these scriptures teaching me how to confess Jesus before the world? What specific thing about Jesus must I say to the world based on these words from God? And the second thing is, uh, we have to ask ourselves is, how should we pray based upon these scriptures? What is it about John the Baptist sending his disciples to Jesus that should teach us how to pray? Here is the question. The disciples ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus answers them. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't set them aside. Instead, he answers with his works and his words. He proves that he is the one, that he is the Christ, by filling up the promises that were set forth by Moses and the prophets. Jesus teaches that he is Savior and Lord, that he rules his kingdom of sinners by forgiving them, by giving them grace. Now, it's not at all unusual that John's disciples, I think, were looking for the Messiah, the Anointed One, their people's Savior. Everybody, to some extent, is looking for a Savior, though very few people actually do it in true faith. I know that to some people out there, you know, the, their saviors look like the political candidate that has the right policies uh, to save the country from inequality or injustice. To other people, they imagine that a sage will someday come who will enlighten everybody so that we can finally do away with poverty and war. And then again, there are those saviors who promise the glory and the honor of war. But to be honest, you know, if we had to look at... Uh, what, what does the American Savior look like? It looks probably like ourselves in the mirror. <laughs> we want to be ourselves saviors. We're taught that with a little bit of self-determination and drive, with a little bit of believing in yourself, you can change your life and you can change the lives of others around you. But now think about John the Baptist. I promise he did not have any delusions about being his own Savior. The chains that were that were keeping him underneath Herod's palace. <laughs> the chains dispelled the idea from his mind. Why was he there? He was there because he had preached the truth against Herod for having an illicit relationship with Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, for John the Baptist, there weren't a set of appeals on the horizon to get him out of prison, nor was there a mass movement by his followers demanding his release. In fact, it was almost as if his followers had forgotten about John. They went after Jesus. They started listening to Jesus. Well, John languished. Everybody had left for Jesus, except, it turns out, for a few of the disciples. They paid attention when Jesus didn't come to free their cousin, or to free Jesus' cousin. Uh, they noticed when there weren't any riots or when Jesus didn't raise up an army to come and get John out of prison. But even as they were gathered around John, their teacher, their teacher was preaching to them, this Jesus, this Jesus is he who comes after me but ranks before me because he was before me. This is the Son of God. 
Now, even though they heard this, these clear words and this clear preaching from their, from their master, they still stumbled. They didn't believe him. And that's why they stayed with John. Because what Savior would really let his own prophet languish? Would David's son and Lord not enact his kingdom with glory so that he could overpower his enemies, and especially this pretender king, Herod? But still, John preached to his disciples and said, Go see for yourself. Leave me for a while. And I want you to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Tell Jesus that I sent you. And so they did. They went to Jesus and they asked him. And then Jesus said, go and tell John what you hear and see. During that hour, they learned two things. They learned about the Messiah's kingdom, what what kind of kingdom he had, and the kind of people, the kind of subjects that he had, the people that he saved. Who are the citizens of this kingdom? Surrounding Jesus were wretches, people without hope. The blind, the lame, the unclean, the deaf, the dying, and brokenhearted. These were the desperate souls who first came out to John in the desert, at the Jordan. Not because God's kingdom would give them equality or justice, but rather because John was promising them comfort for their grieved and convicted souls. See, nowadays we're told to think that broken and disenfranchised people merely need empowerment and reparations, that they need some sort of lifting up from their victimhood. But these wretches were being taught by John something totally different, that even though they were broken on the outside and broken on the inside, that they were still sinners, and that they needed not sort of justification for their own sake, but they needed mercy, God's mercy. John's, uh, John's words of law that he preached to them cut their hearts. But his baptism also taught them that salvation comes by repentance into forgiveness of sins. And so finally, when John pointed at this man, whom he called the Lamb of God, they followed him with joy. How did their Savior treat them? How did David's Lord exercise his authority over them? John's disciples must have marveled as they saw it. Jesus was opening the eyes of the blind. He was opening the ears of the deaf. He was making the lame walk. He was cleansing lepers. He was opening their hearts to faith. John's disciples discovered that the kind of kingdom they were to expect was not a kingdom to rival that of Herod. It was a kingdom of mercy. It was a kingdom that could only be found when you heard preaching, a very special kind of preaching, a preaching of forgiveness. They found that the King and Messiah, this Jesus, He is a Savior who doesn't conquer with weapons, or breaks his, his uh, prisoners out of prison and out of their chains, but rather he is a Savior who comforts, who rules 
with promises. After going with Jesus and seeing him do these works and speak these words, Jesus looked at John's disciples and he said to them, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, if John's disciples had merely seen the miracles and heard the words of mercy, that would have been enough to convict them that Jesus is not a mere man, but a man from God. A man who has at his hands the the power of God. But because they were John's disciples, that means that they were trained in the Scriptures. They had these signs, these markers from the Old Testament by which they were to prove the Messiah. To prove if Jesus or anybody else was really the one who would come to finally set them free from their enemies. It turns out that as Jesus was going from person to person, opening eyes and opening ears and giving uh, legs to the lame, that he was preaching while he was doing this. He preached on the Old Testament text of Isaiah. And all of the promises of the Christ contained there. Uh, Jesus preached, saying this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap up like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And again, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. And Jesus preached and said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. John's disciples were waiting for the one promised by this book, by this prophet. They were waiting for this branch from the stump of Jesse, the line of Judah, the prophet like Moses, the seed who had redeemed them from their sins. Jesus looked at them and he said, I am he. I am the Lord, your Christ, your Savior, and your God. Dear saints, you and I are a lot like John's disciples. That's because our eyes and our ears and even our hearts are darkened. They're darkened by unbelief. The devil loves to set before us all kinds of different saviors to fear and to love and to trust. And though Jesus desires to minister to us in his kingdom by grace, we're always, we're always waiting for something bigger or better. It's just as Isaiah says, Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. If it were up to us, we would stay in the dungeon with John waiting our entire lives for a Savior that would never come. But just because John was in chains with his disciples doesn't mean that John was silent, that there was a muzzle over his mouth. Even from prison, John's office is to point to Jesus. And so even as he was diminished and decreased, he sent his followers for one last time to their Lord and to their God. And dear saints, This is true of us too. We can't find Jesus on our own. We don't have the spiritual sight within us to do it. Our corruption is too deep. Our sins are too much. But Jesus still sends to us. 
Men like John the Baptist, who open our ears and open our eyes to see Jesus so that we would be filled up by his mercy and his kindness. These prophets and pointers to Christ don't shake in the winds of doctrine, blowing to this Savior one day and to another Savior the next. They're not soft or weak, succumbing to power when it, it, uh, grows, when it grows strong against them, when it threatens them with imprisonment or even death. They stand firm and strong and send their hearers to Jesus. John is the greatest prophet of them all. Jesus says it. But that doesn't mean that John's work doesn't continue. Now, what does this mean for our prayers? It means this, that the gospel lesson teaches us that our prayers should be for our pastors and our parents and our teachers who should be like John. That even though we might be darkened under our sins, we pray that our fathers in the faith would persistently and unwaveringly point us to Jesus, our Savior. We pray that we would hear from their mouths the unchanging preaching of repentance and faith that would not be confused and capitulate to the pressures of this age. And especially for you parents and teachers, you also share in this prophetic office of John, which means that you also have to learn to pray for yourself. That's not selfish. It's necessary. The Holy Spirit would strengthen you to be resolute in how you point to Jesus so that your children would never doubt, but always know that when I listen to my mom and when I listen to my dad, that my Savior, my Lord, and my God, this is Jesus, my shepherd who takes care of me. What does this mean for our confession? How does it sharpen it? We confess Jesus to the world as the only Savior. We confess that Jesus' kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not full of strong people who follow a strong king. It's full of sinners who hear the gospel that their Lord and their King died for them to redeem them, to strengthen them with faith, and the Holy Ghost. We learn to confess that Jesus is proven to be this Savior and Lord by His miracles, by His words, and most of all, by the Holy Scriptures. That whenever we find these precious promises in the Old Testament that point to the seed who crushes the serpent's head, that points to the Redeemer of the world and the Savior of the Gentiles and Jews alike, that we would see Jesus there. That when we hear even the preaching of the apostles and the evangelists, we wouldn't be confused to think that they're talking about somebody else, but always Jesus. The Lord grant us faithfulness in our prayers and confession that Jesus would always be glorified among us, his redeemed saints. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus even unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. 
For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.